HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And on today's episode, we have Alice Bergen-Phillips, manager of Back in the Vat Grant Program, a grant created by Cheeseleets, a cheese industry fundraising group. And she is the owner of Cheese Monster DC, a cheese shop in Washington, DC. Alice, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm stoked to have you on the show. You're actually, when I looked back at the catalog of our of our shows, you're the first cheese shop owner from DC to be on the program. So you're, you're really Ooh. representing on this one. It's cool. I love that. That makes me so excited. Yay. Yeah. Totally a pioneer. I feel like, uh, you're making some waves over there, but we're all, we also have you on the program for, it's funny. You're, you're here for a twofer, which is pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're here to represent, uh, the cheese leaps fundraising group who also has a new grant called Back in the Vat. So I thought maybe we'd, we'd like kind of lay some layers on this. Um, yeah. If you didn't mind first talking about like who a cheese elite is, what is it? How is it a fundraising group? Give a little bit of background for the listeners out there. Yeah, for sure. I know I'm like here doing all, all the cheesy things. Um, so little bit of background on the Cheese Leets. So Cheese Leets, uh, the, the group was started back in 2016 um, by Jess Perry and Rachel Jewell, who a lot of people know from um, Essex Street Cheese Company. And basically, they started a um, 5K at the American Cheese Society Conference in order to raise funds for various, um, like cheese educational opportunities. So, um, DZTA, which is now DZTE, uh, American cheese society, um, scholarship, I think, uh, various organizations have been recipients of their funds over the years. Um, but back in the VAT, uh, was started in 2022, basically as a way to, support people coming out of COVID. So 
it's the first um, initiative of the cheese elites where they're actually funding the grant um, that they themselves are running, uh, as opposed to giving funds to other organizations. Um, and basically the idea behind it was to get people back out in the world again. Um, I don't know about you, but you know, for me going out and like meeting other cheese people at various like conferences or competitions or, you know, whatever gatherings, um, is, has always really sort of propelled me forward in my cheese career. And the cheese leads, you know, saw that after COVID people weren't traveling as much. A lot of people didn't have enough funds to travel. Um, and so they started this initiative to get people back out there, um, talking to other cheese people, learning, um, you know, expanding their cheese knowledge. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of what we're, what we're doing here. Okay. So basically, for the listeners, I just want to make sure it's super clear. Uh, cheese industry professionals raise money yes. for this grant by running, which is not something a lot of cheese people I feel like do, but for this, we, we're, yeah. we're promoting health and exercise. They run a 5K yeah. during um, basically the ACS, the cheese conference in the summer, to raise money for all these programs. But this is actually their own um, program that they've kind of put together to help people, to help people yeah. that are already in the industry, which is really, super, really very cool. Um, so, and you have won this award, correct? That's right. That's right. Well, so first I realized I didn't actually answer your question as to what is a cheese leet. So as you said, it's like a cheese athlete. So a yeah. cheese person who runs or walks. Um, and so anybody can be a cheese leet. Um, you don't have to run it, which like, thank God, cause I do not run. Um, but you can, you can walk, you can, you know, whatever you do to make the 5k and, you know, raise money. So that's, that's what a cheese leet is. But yes, yeah, so I was lucky enough to be awarded, um, one of the first back in the VAT grants last year. So last year was the first year that the grants were available. Um, there were four given out and I was lucky enough to receive one to go down to Antonelli's, uh, cheese shop in Austin, Texas, and basically just kind of learn about their operation and how they do things. And, it was incredible. I mean, I literally stayed with John and Kendall Antonelli in their house. Um, they like let me drive one of their cars to all of their different, uh, you know, cheese places. So I got to do a day at the warehouse. I got to do a day in the shop, a day doing events. Um, and it was really, it was a really transformative experience. Um, and so being able to now be the back in the vat manager, and give other people the opportunity to have that experience or something similar feels really incredible. Cause it's, um, yeah, I mean, I can get into it, but it was really, uh, really pretty incredible. Well, I would, I guess my follow up then to that was one amazing that you went to Texas and studied under the Antonelli's. I have, I've yet to go visit, but I'm, I'm excited to one day do yeah. it. But from what I hear, they're amazing. Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. what, uh, my follow up question is, what surprised you about like how they do, was it like a logistical thing? Was it a cultural thing? Oh, what man. in the cheese shop that you studied there uh, really made a difference to you that you didn't expect to see? Such a good question because they literally blew my mind. Um, so in like a bunch of ways, but the main takeaway that I got, so in my application for the grants and, you know, um, when, yeah, when I was applying to go, uh, 
what I said was I was interested in looking at what a sustainable business model looks like. Cause for me, so a little bit of background about me. So I've owned cheese monster for almost seven years now, which is kind of wild. And it has had 700 billion different incarnations. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I started off as a mobile, um, cheese caterer and cheese educator. I've had a brick and mortar shop that had like cafe hours. Um, I've, and like a sort of like place for classes and stuff. I've done, you know, retail out of there during the pandemic. We started shipping all over the country during the pandemic and doing virtual classes. I've done consulting for restaurants. Like I've done all the different things. And I just, um, basically long story short ish. I'm not very short winded. Um, okay, but, uh, great. <laughs> okay great. <laughs> So I, um, closed my brick and mortar in 2021, um, basically because the pandemic had made the neighborhood we were in very, very unsafe. And we had a bunch of really horrible things happen. And so we closed down in 2021 and I spent the next, uh, you know, year to really struggling with how to move forward insofar as I'd done a whole bunch of things and none of them felt very sustainable. And part of that was, due to the fact that the world had changed so drastically from pre-pandemic to during the pandemic to like post-pandemic, whatever the heck that means. And, you know, everything just felt very in flux and very unstable. And I knew how much time and effort and energy it took to to put into restarting something or starting something new. And I didn't want to do that without having a solid plan and feeling really good about it. And so honestly, I kind of spent a couple years just like, just really unsure. And I'd been, you know, approached for, you know, with several different opportunities, but none of them ended up sort of panning out or didn't feel quite right. And so this opportunity, I was talking to Rachel Jewell about all of this and, um, about what sustainability means, not necessarily in terms of like an environmental sense, but in terms of a business sense, like how do you sustain so many small businesses, you know, have gone under, after a short time, a long time, because they can't do it anymore, people get burned out. And so she said, you know, you should apply for this, this grant, this back in the back grant and go to Antonelli's and see what they do. Cause they've been around for 14 years and they're doing something right. So I went down there, um, and kind of expected to be them to, this is so naive, but I expected them to be like, yes, of course, this is the model that works. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is, this is mm-hmm. the thing, which is so dumb in retrospect. But, uh, what they showed me and what I learned there was they told me there's no such thing as a sustainable business model. You have to sort of build a sustainable life as a person first and then see how what you do in your business fits into that. And that's going to change. So you really have to figure out what you want your personal life to look like. And then sort of fit your business stuff into it. And, you know, sort of be able to take a look at it every you know year or two and say, is this still working for me? Is this still working for me in terms of where I'm at in my life? Is this still working for me in terms of where my kids are at in their lives? Is this still working for my employees? What needs to change and what doesn't? And sometimes hard decisions need to be made, but that's sort of the way that you end up being sustainable is by kind of constantly 
shifting and changing depending on where you are. Because if you burn yourself out completely, you're not going anywhere. Um, and that was a really kind of mind blowing thing. Cause I feel like I had for a long time tried to shoehorn my life around my business stuff. And I got super burned out and was really, it was really, really tough. And so seeing, you know, these folks be able to kind of flip that, um, was really, yeah, really, really inspiring. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it's great advice. I, mean, I think so many other cheese industry professionals are feeling that where they feel lost and, and feel like maybe they're missing the point or not understanding something that somebody else already has figured out. And it, it's like mm-hmm. kind of what you learn there. Everyone is like adapting and pivoting to make, you know, their yeah project fit the way it needs to and have a work-life balance. It's, it's definitely a new world. So I'm glad that you figured it out, uh, through the Antonelli's visit. That's, that is where back in the bat is a big, a big thing to get. I, so I wonder then post the win of the grant, um, Mm -hmm. is there a support system after that, that helps you tackle your like dreams and hopes? Um, (laughs) you know, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, Basically the the long and the short of it is not yet. Um, you know, the, the cheese leads are, were really great last year. You know, last year we were, we were kind of the guinea pigs. We were the people sort of like, uh, figuring it all out. And the cheese leads didn't have a back in the vat grant manager last year. Um, mm. so they were really good at getting us connected to the people that we were, you know, going to see and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, after the fact, it's kind of up to you what, what you do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, as now the back in the back grant manager, that's something that I would really like to implement, um, and kind of build out as time goes on is, you know, people being able to maintain, um, relationships and, um, share what they've learned and all of that kind of stuff. So I do know, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, don't want to speak for the other grantees, but, um, you know, it is, you do make such a, such a bond with the people who you're visiting. And, um, I know for example, um, one of the, the grantees who went to Jasper Hill cheese camp, um, as part of her, or as her back in the vat, um, grant experience ended up turning that into a six month internship with them. So there are definitely possibilities, but nothing's been codified yet. Cause we're kind of, uh, figuring all of that out still. Yeah, no, no, but I like where it's going. So, um, in terms of who, uh, the grantees can apply to be collaborating with, is there a certain set or can somebody, dream up an opportunity and then it goes from there. Like what, what is, yeah. What is that? So that, yeah, that's a great question. So basically every year we have, um, a couple different sponsors who, uh, our network liaison, um, Sam Kane sort of reaches out to and gets to, um, sponsor these internship opportunities. So you don't kind of get to invent your own, but you get to apply, for the ones that we have. So this year, for example, um, we have two opportunities for folks to go up to Jasper Hill and go to cheese camp. And then we also have, um, a two month opportunity for somebody to go to Uplands cheese company in Wisconsin and make Rush Creek reserve. Um, so 
you know, people can, can pick from those experiences to apply to, or they can apply to both. That is also totally allowed. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, basically in terms of people who can apply, it's open to anybody who works in the cheese industry in the United States, um, which I've had a bunch of people from like outside of the U S reach out to me on Instagram and be like, Hey, can like we apply? And I'm like, I wish, um, it's just (laughs) part of the logistics of the nonprofit world. Um, because uh, okay. my inclination is like yes, and then I was like, oh, actually, <laughs> no. But um, yeah. yeah, so it's it's open um, to to cheese people in the U.S. Um, and you know, I don't know, maybe hopefully one day we can expand that. But that's that's a down the road kind of a thing. But um, yeah, and then you know, we'll see. I mean, hopefully, as the years go by, it grows and we get more sponsors and you know, more people who want. Um, to, to have cheese people come visit them and and learn from them. Yeah. I I think that could be really exciting. I definitely see it, um, at least like North America, maybe one day I could see it going for, um, but you know, what's the best way for cheese professionals to apply for this grant? Is it like an online thing or through Instagram or, and like, what is the application like? Yeah. Um, so there, the applications are, you basically choose which, um, opportunity you want to apply for. Um, or like I said, you can apply to both if you would like. Um, and, uh, it's just on the cheese leads website. So it's just, uh, the cheese and you'll find the applications there. It's just a simple Google form. Um, I mean, one of the things that I loved about uh, this application process is they try and make it as easy as possible um, so that it encourages people to apply. So it's, it's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, You need to, you know, like upload your resume, say who you are, what you do, what you want to do with this grant, all of that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, they try and they try and make the barrier to entry pretty low so that it can appeal to as many people as possible. Yeah. So no essay. No word count. Nope. Just nope. put yourself out there. <laughs> and do you even have to have like a certain amount of hours to apply for any of these or for, or no? It depends. Yeah. So, um, depending on which opportunity you choose. So, um, cheese camp, uh, you have to have at least six months, um, of cheese industry um, in order to, to go to cheese camp, um, for, uh, uplands, the requirement is a year of experience in the cheese industry, but for both of them, it's within any field in the cheese industry. So, you know, you don't have to be a cheese maker or anything like that in order to apply. As long as you have for Jasper Hill, six months for uplands one year, then you're welcome to apply. Okay. That's, that's good to know, because I mean, I know it's, cheese making centric it seems like mm-hmm. the two opportunities are going to play out that way unless they're offer well i guess this is a follow-up question is it is it just yeah. in like cheese making affinage or are they giving someone the opportunity to be in sales or marketing at all or like the cheese camp is it's a pre-designed thing i don't know yeah Totally. Yeah. So this year, the focus mostly, um, because these are the two opportunities available is cheese making affinage, all of that kind of stuff. Although I will say that even if you are not necessarily aiming to be a cheese maker, learning firsthand those skills, I think is a huge, 
um, opportunity for somebody who is in marketing sales behind a counter, whatever, the more knowledge you have and the more hands-on knowledge you have, the better you're going to be at your job and the more opportunities are going to be sort of afforded to you if you have that hands-on knowledge. Um, but we're hoping in the future, like this year, Antonelli's was not able to, um, extend, a, a sponsorship because they literally just opened a second location. So they are very busy right now, yeah. <laughs> but, um, we are hoping to have them back again next year. And, um, you know, we, we hope to have other opportunities as well. You know, we've been talking potentially about having, um, you know, people have grant opportunities in marketing or in, you know, cheese like journalism or, you know, just we're trying to get um, a broad swath of the cheese industry where people can go and have different experiences because there are so many different like facets of it. Um, but this year, this year it's mostly cheese making. So yeah. That's cool. That's still great. I mean, yeah. I just wanted to make sure it was clear. Cause I was like, wait a second. I'm not sure if this is, but you know what? You're right. It's still really good to um, see in person how cheese is made because I feel like as a young baby monger, you like hear about it. You kind of understand it. You've read about it, but like you don't really get it until you've seen it a bunch of times or like been around it yourself and maybe played at it a little bit. I think it's, you're right. That is a character building uh, moment for the youngins or for anyone who just has been in cheese. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, even before this opportunity, you know, I was lucky enough. I got to go do like a week stage at Meals Yard Dairy quite a few years ago now. I'm like three years ago. It was like seven years ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, and go and meet cheesemakers and see how they do their affinage in their caves and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I have no aspirations to make cheese. It is very, very hard to make cheese. I am really good at proselytizing about it, but I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to make it myself. But going to those places, even just being in those places and seeing the land, meeting the people, seeing the animals, all of that stuff had such a pr- profound impact on me and my career. I mean, even, even longer ago, um, I got to do a cheese tour of Wisconsin um, and, you know, go to places like Uplands and Hooks and other incredible, um, visit other incredible cheesemakers. And again, no aspirations to be a cheesemaker myself, but I understood it so much more deeply once I was there. So yeah, I definitely, definitely encourage people to take advantage of those opportunities, even if you're not necessarily, you know, wanting to be a cheesemaker. If you do want to be a cheesemaker, then like, obviously, definitely take advantage of those opportunities. But um, just it's, it's, if you're going to be in the cheese world, going to uh, a place where you can learn about it is like in a hands on way is so important. Perfect. I agree. I totally get that. Um, All right, cool. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Hey, everyone, you're listening to Cutting the Curd, and we'll be uh, right back. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. 
Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Okay, welcome back everyone to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren, and I am here with Alice Bergen Phillips, the maestro of Cheese Monster DC, the one and only cheese shop in DC as far as I'm concerned, because uh, I I don't know. I, I just feel like DC... It has a cheese scene, but I need to learn more from you, Alice. What is the deal with cheese and cheese shops in Washington, D.C.? Um, that and- is a great question. <laughs> tell me more. Please, please tell me more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. D.C. has been a fascinating place to be in cheese, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I have been in cheese now. Oh gosh. I got my start in 2012. Um, I lived in California at the time and then, and kind of just fell in love with the industry. And so when I moved out to DC in 2014, so like literally 10 years ago, which is wild to me, um, I knew I wanted to be in the cheese industry, have my own shop eventually, um, all of that kind of stuff. And so, um, it's been really interesting. Uh, DC is a really weird place, especially for cheese. But, um, for a very long time, I really liked to describe it as a place where that was like about 15 years behind every other like food city in the country. Um, just like in general, not just cheese wise, but just in general. Um, you know, a lot of like steakhouses were like, politicians would take their client or like whoever their people, but you know, and then some like, you know, homegrown places, but nothing that really got a lot of national recognition that has changed a ton in the 10 years that I've been here. Um, and now DC is kind of getting known as a food city. There's a ton of great restaurants. There's a ton of great bars or a ton of, you know, great local places that are finally getting their due. Um, cheese here has been very up and down and all over the place. Like, um, when I got into cheese here, it, there was a sort of a burgeoning community. Um, cowgirl creamery used to have a shop here. Um, there were, there were a couple places here and there, but it's been really, really hard to make a community stick. Um, and part of that has to do with the fact that rents here are 
outrageously high. I mean, you know, we're not necessarily talking like New York City high, but like pretty darn, like shockingly high. Um, mm. And that never bodes well for brick and mortars. Um, part of it has to do with um, different administrations who have come in and out. Um, and so the the administration um, that is in power at the time really has a big influence on the city and whether the people who work in the city in politics or whatever actually stay and spend their money there or if they flee every chance they get. So depending on the administration, that's really kind of like helped or harmed um, small food business, small business in general, but small food businesses and cheese businesses in particular. Um, and then, you know, because DC was behind a lot of the country for a long time in terms of like specialty food, you know, whatever, quote unquote, fancy foods, that kind of stuff. It's been a little bit of a distribution black hole for a long time. And so it's been sort of a chicken and egg thing where it's like, we don't get the distribution because there isn't enough like demand for it, but there isn't enough demand for it because people don't know what they're kind of missing. And so it's this like kind of annoying cycle. Um, I think finally the cycle is breaking a little bit with, um, you know, people being able to, um, get more product here because there are now more restaurants and, you know, cause they're just, uh, there are never going to be enough cheese shops in DC because it's such a small city to make it worthwhile for most distributors to, to come down here. So we really need to get the restaurants and stuff on board as well. And I think that that is starting to happen, which is great. Um, but it's a weird place. I don't know. It's, uh, no, I love that you're saying because I have, have, I've visited, I have, I've, I've walked around and I'm like trying to make head of it. And it's, it's one of those things where I, I do see, the restaurant scene coming up in a way that I mm-hmm. I'm very impressed by. And I I hope for you then that's great for wholesale or cheeses in general becoming, you know, people becoming more aware of it. Um, I for guess sure. for is sure. that what you're saying is happening out in DC right now? I, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I've definitely worked with a handful of chefs who get it and are into it and like, want to make, you know, cheese happen in, in DC. Um, I've, I've talked to a lot more chefs who are like, well, but if our customers don't know the difference, then who cares? Mm. And like, let's keep our costs low. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful, um, you know, and there are other shops and stuff popping up. Um, you know, I, I closed my brick and mortar back in 2021 and now am actually, I got my business license on Friday and (laughs) thank you. A relaunching back with my sort of like original concept of, um, uh, cheese catering and cheese education. So I'm technically not a shop. Um, but there are other, you know, small shops that are, you know, trying their hardest and and popping up and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we're currently on an upswing and that we will get more people, you know, excited about cheese and involved and, and be able to, yeah, really build the cheese community here. Cause yeah, there are some years you, you kind of feel like you're on an island. And then there are other years you're like, oh my God, so many people. This is great. So it just, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> Very, okay. So yeah, I had a feeling because I, okay. So then 
That'll be cool. I'm excited to see where you land next with Cheese Monster. Um, I guess my follow-up question to this is, have you ever made a cheese plate for any politicians or political events that that you're willing to talk about? Yeah, I've done a couple for some, um, you know, political consultant slash like lobbying firms where they'll just tell me like a congressperson is coming, but I don't actually know who it is. Um, <laughs> because I usually I'll like set up for an event and then I leave and then I pick up my stuff later. So I don't like hang out and see who it is. I would say the, the coolest DC stuff, like DC specific stuff that I've been able to do is, uh, has to do with the Smithsonian. So Um, before the pandemic, I got to lead a few cheese classes with the Smithsonian and actually like go and teach like a couple hundred people all about cheese. And, um, and then last year, last spring, I got to do a tea and cheese pairing, um, class. Oh no, it wasn't even a class. It was like a booth for the cherry blossom festival at the national museum of Asian art. And that was really cool. So being able to do that, or like I got to do, um, a couple times, some like after hours parties at the air and space museum and did a bunch of like space themed cheese stuff. So yeah, Smithsonian has been really cool to be, to be, you know, working with, but, uh, yeah, you know, the Capitol Hill, like political stuff's been okay. Um, but (laughs) it's a funny thing to talk cheese and talk about politics all in the same breath yeah. and relate them. I'm like, yeah. I, I, even when I wrote the question, I was like, how is this going to go? Hmm, let's see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it also just like really depends on like who's in power and, uh, yeah, certain people are just way more into cheese than other people. Let's just put it oh. that way. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm putting you on the hot spot here. Who eats more no, cheese? Okay. Republicans or Democrats? Oh, honestly, I have not seen uh, a marked difference, except Mm -hmm. that I will say that uh, the most passionate, the most passionate people who I have talked to about cheese in D.C. have been people who are here from Vermont and people who are here from Wisconsin. Like any time there's somebody from Vermont or somebody from Wisconsin at like an event I'm doing or whatever, they want to talk about cheese for the next two hours, which I love. So, um, yeah. So I feel like, you know, take that for what you will in terms of Democrat and Republican, but I, I haven't. Yeah. I I mean, I'll I'll take it. It's pretty big. No, no, no. I'll take it. Maybe (laughs) we can conduct that study on our next, our next interview. (laughs) <laughs> see what see if you have a demographic update on Republicans versus Democrats. I, I need to I need to start paying more attention. <laughs> That's it. Know your audience. Know your customer. Um, exactly. So then, okay, I have a few more questions to end out here. But so, uh, since you're in the Mid Atlantic, I, I think you consider yourself yes. Mid Atlantic area, you know, region. Um, yes, sure. Would what are some cheese? Are there some cheese makers that are up and coming, or maybe you think our audience may have missed? uh, that they should know about a quick shout out. Okay. So my favorite cheesemakers in the region, um, the, the big three for me are boxcar handmade cheese in North Carolina. Um, Sam, uh, Genki's come up a couple times and, uh, done some classes with me and her cheeses are incredible. And they're only about, they're like four hours from here, four and a half hours. Um, so they're, they're amazing. And I love them very much. Um, everyone knows Meadow Creek. Meadow Creek is a, um, you know, uh, Virginia 
cheesemaker. So that's really cool to have them around. Um, there is Firefly Farms in Maryland. So they're only about two and a half hours away from here. Yeah. Um, and they do awesome things. They, you know, they, the owners used to live in DC for a long time. Oh, I um, and I've gotten to them. Yeah. They, they lived in DC and their first like cheese stands were in, uh, the DuPont farmer's market, which is a, a part of DC. Wow. Um, and they're lovely people. They, uh, I've worked with them on a few events over the years. Um, and then there's, there's Caramont farms, which is, um, down closer to sort of Richmond, um, Charlottesville. So Virginia as well. Um, and they make really incredible cheeses as well. Um, yeah, those are, those are kind of my favorites, but there are a bunch of other, um, you know, I mean, the nice thing about being here is we're not that far from anybody. So like there's a bunch of Pennsylvania cheesemakers that aren't too far, um, and technically mid Atlantic there's, you know, we're, we're close to lots of people. So there's a lot of good cheese around, which is great. That's a, no, that's an impressive list actually that you just shouted out. I've had a few of those cheesemakers on my list of, should I, should we reach out? You know, I, I, I've thought about them for interviews. So, I mean, that's actually mm-hmm. considering those are some really yeah. heavy hitters that you're, that are nearby. Yeah, yeah. Local ones. So that's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And so I guess overall I wanted to see, and this might be, you might've mentioned it already even, but I was curious, like during your professional cheese career, like what would you say you're most proud of? What is, what is a moment for you that you feel like really made you feel great about being in the cheese industry? Um, that is a great question. Cause I, uh, it's hard to answer because there are like a few moments that really spring to mind for me. Sure. Um, I mean, moment number one for sure was, uh, the first time that I competed at, uh, Cheesemonger Invitational was summer of 2016. And I had only, so when I moved back to DC, I, I worked in a couple other like food jobs, mostly, um, because I wanted to get like management experience and stuff. And there weren't that many cheese jobs around here. Um, at the time. So in 2016, I'd only really been back in the cheese industry for about six months or so before I competed at CMI. And it was one of those things where I was like, I don't know, man, I'll throw my hat in the ring. All these people know so much more than me. I was like super intimidated, did not know what I was in for. And I ended up being a finalist, um, which was very cool and very scary, (laughs) very, uh, unexpected. Um, and so that, that moment of like being called up on stage and getting that kind of recognition and, and all that kind of stuff was really, I mean, honestly, I think it was one of the things that really propelled me forward in my career. I mean, I opened Cheese Monster um, less than a year later um, and, you know, got to go to Wisconsin, got to go to Meals Air Dairy, got to meet all of these really cool people. And um, I, yeah, I, that was, that was hugely formative and very cool. The other moment that really sticks out for me was in 2018, I was able to be part of a, um, team of women who went to the James Beard house in, uh, New York for, um, or to, to create a dinner experience. So one of my friends, um, Johanna Hellriegel, she's a, a amazing Italian chef, 
Um, and she did a dinner that was all about like Northern Italy. Cause that's where she's from. And so she, she brought me along to do a huge, like Northern Italian inspired cheese board for 80 people and being able to like be at the James Beard house, not as a guest, but as somebody actually showcasing what they do was like one of the coolest and most stressful and craziest and like most awesome things I've ever gotten to do. So, uh, yeah, that was wild. And then the next day I found out I was pregnant. So that was cool too. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was a very crazy weekend. <laughs> Amazing. I love yeah. how that, that was out. Um, Wow. Well, I I think you've had an amazing and excellent career to hear about. Um, I wanted to thank you, Alice. Thank you for coming on the show today to talk about everything that we just discussed. Cheese. Thank you so much. Back in the vat. Um, There's you're just you're wearing a lot of hats right now. So uh, you know, I I I, there's so So much to be proud of for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, cool. Well, thank you so so much. This was so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So I'm just gonna tell the listeners where to find you. Um, please awesome. follow cheese monster DC on Instagram at cheese monster DC. Also, uh, look out to apply for the back in the vet grant on the, che- what's the website again? Cheeseleats.org or cheeseleats. It's, uh, cheeseleats. Yeah. It's a, uh, the cheeseleats.org. Yeah. Cheeseleats.org. Perfect. Okay. And you can follow us at cutting the curd and myself at Kara Warren. And please listen and subscribe to cutting the curd wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, don't forget to give us a five-star review. It helps. It really does. I've, I've heard it from all the other podcasts. You should give us a five-star review. It does us good. Um, okay, great. Thanks, and eat more cheese. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.